Hello, everyone. Welcome to Peer to Peer Real Estate Show. I'm your host, William Morales. And on today's show, I have Marcin Droz. Did I? You just told me like five seconds ago. <laughs> it's it's Marcin Droz. Yeah, it's Marcin uh, Droz. He is the managing partner of M1 Real Capital, where he and his team focus on acquiring value add multifamily properties throughout the Southeast. Over the past 16 years, he has helped acquire over 1,500 units across the U.S. and establish himself as the go-to in the world of capital raising, which we're going to talk about today, and real estate acquisitions. Marcin, thank you so much for being on Peter Peer Real Estate Show. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me, sir. Really, oh, it's my it's my pleasure. Um, you know, I always ask this question of everybody, of course, so you're no different. So, did you know early on that you wanted to be an entrepreneur? Was this something? that you grew up with or it fell into your lap or you knew at the age of five, you're going to be the next Warren Buffett of real estate. <laughs> I, I knew I was not employable at a very early age. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so talk more about that. <laughs> I, knew, I knew I was not a very good candidate for long-term employment uh, early on. It's funny. I went to school like everybody else, you know, thinking initially, okay, I'm uh, I was did, did post-secondary. I thought maybe I'd be a lawyer or something in the legal system, things like this. And it, it was interesting to me, but I was in school and I'm sitting there in class and I'm listening to the professor talking about all kinds of stuff. And, you know, I looked around, looked to my left, looked to my right. And I noticed that most of my peers were more interested about getting good grades as opposed to actually building something and making something happen. And, you know, it, it didn't take me long. I, I finally year two... <coughs> post-secondary, uh, I'm excited. I'd take a business because year one, they make you take all kinds of stuff. Year two, I I finally walk up to my professor because I, I get to go to business, right? Inter international okay. business class. So I walk up to him and eagerly ask him, you know, so what business do you run? And he's staring at me like confused. He goes, I don't understand. I go, well, you're teaching business. And I wasn't trying to be funny. I genuinely thought for you to teach business, you had to run a business. Right, and right. he's just staring at me. He's like, well, I wrote this book. I go, all right based off what? And he's just staring at me. And, you know, I didn't last because for me, I, it was inconceivable to teach something that you haven't done right now. If you're a lawyer and you're teaching law, great. If you're an accountant, you're teaching accounting, great. So if you're teaching business, you have to be a business in my mind, you had to be a businessman or businesswoman. And, you know, that was then today. I know the universities and the colleges that they, they now bring entrepreneurs in to teach classes and you know uh who knows maybe if if that person was in the classroom i would have stuck around wow and you know it's funny you don't even think about that but that's true you know it, it's like in real estate i'm pretty sure you heard this Marcin, where uh, people you know uh, they're teaching these courses and all that but they and and the rumor i heard back a, a few years ago that they weren't even really doing it they were just teaching it and just getting money off of students and i I just found that hard to believe, especially after I read some of these articles. Um, but I guess like what you went through, I, I, I guess is, you know, uh, out there we, and we have to be aware. Let's, and you asked the right question, in my opinion. Hey, what business are, are you teaching? Uh, I'm assuming you have a business. He wrote a book. I mean, I think anybody could write <laughs> a book. What? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> about what? <laughs> yeah. So after you decided that you wanted to be an entrepreneur, you said that you weren't employable. Did you get the support that you needed early on? No, Anybody? no, 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 no. I'm so, look, my first name, last name, obviously I'm not from around here. I was born in uh, Poland, uh, communist Poland. And right. for my mom, uh, to her, to her, 
absolute, uh, it shattered her universe when she learned that I didn't want to finish school and be a lawyer. And because, you know, she could brag about that. That was something she could brag to her friends about becoming, becoming an entrepreneur. You, you need to learn how to communicate. You need to learn how to sell. You need to learn how to talk to people. And, you know, at the time, uh, being, uh, in uh, business or being a sale, you know, being in business was considered being a salesman. So for my mom, she would have been happier if I told her I wanted to work in sanitation and pick up garbage bins, because for her, that was like the, that was a death blow. Like, how is she going to brag about her son? He's doing what? Because running a business in Europe was, first of all, illegal in communist Poland. So, you know, no, there was very, very little support, even, you know, even friends, they were like, what are you doing, dude? Like, just go be a lawyer, go make six figures. Why are you complicating your life? Right. So uh, those early years were really, really dark, dark years. Um, but uh, the, the, the concept of, you know, just doing it like every, you know, the, the, uh, the, uh, the nail in the coffin for me was I took an internship at a major bank, uh, downtown, and I was a, it was a it was a free internship. So in other words, they got they got my blood, sweat, and tears for a period of time. But but it it gave me a gave me a line of sight in the machine in the corporate machine, uh, well known bank. And I did the internship for a few months in, in in the fraud department, and I got to work and I got to see all the case files and things like this. And that 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 drudgery of taking the train downtown, walking through the uh, the underground parking lot, I just felt like a rat scurrying to work in the morning coming home and I, I and again there's people that love that lifestyle and it works for them and they love it and they love they love you know getting on the train and having their coffee and for me I just dreaded it and that was the nail in the coffin I'm like no I gotta I gotta figure this entrepreneurship thing out and you know I was lucky because I I went through everything I just said to you in my late teens and early 20s so by the time I got into private <laughs> equity and I got into fundraising and real estate and things like this I was I was clear, crystal clear in my mind what I wanted to do. Oh, that's amazing. I, I think that what you did was, um, uh, it's like a blueprint that some that a lot of us want to go through. But like you said, some people don't want to take the, maybe some people don't want to take the, the leap of faith and all that. But I think you got to know yourself and you did that. You said, nah, you know what? I'm not a nine to five guy. I, I don't want to be traveling on the train and I don't want to be bumping into people. So you knew. So tell us about, um, what made you get into real estate? What was about that niche, that that's that area of, of, of investing that drew you in? So, you know, I read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, like everyone else when I was- Before you go, isn't that like the standard oh, that's business the book, right? That's the best. It, I, I picked up the book and, you know, the subtitle got me what the- what the rich, uh, what what rich, the rich uh, do that the poor middle class don't, or something like that. Something yeah, about yeah. something about money, and it, and I read that title, and I'm like, you know what, this is interesting. I read the book literally in the night, then I went back to Coles or whatever it was, and I bought BI Triangle Cash Flow Quadrant, and I read the entire you know four or five first few books in the series in a matter of weeks, and it just blew my mind. And then from then on in, it was just like, everything's an opportunity, everything was an option. And, you know, people give the whole Rich Dad series books a bad rap because they don't tell you how to do it. And they're not meant to tell you how to do it. They're, they're meant to show you the context of why, not the what. Right. Uh, there's plenty of how-to books out there on, on everything. Uh, but that book is a why book. It's, it's, it's a contextual framework. So I read that, blew my mind. Uh, and then real estate to me was, was, was tangible. I could see it. I, I understood it. It was simple enough. 
you know, I had, I had nobody in my family in real estate. My mom's a pharmacist at a major hospital. My dad mm -hmm. runs an auto shop. Uh, he's got a great business there, but you know, no one was in the real estate business. So how I got into it is I, uh, I, anybody I knew that was a realtor, I, I was initially trying to get into their offices, but nobody wanted to deal with me because you don't know anything, right? So mm -hmm. I, I got it. I got my foot in the door finally when I offered to work for free, uh, dragging for sale signs to and from listings. So literally I would show up, throw those massive wrought iron things into my trunk, totally tear up my roof liner and my beat up old Volkswagen. And then I'd bring it back to the office and grab the new one, drop it off at the next site. I didn't care. I want, cause in between those opportunities to pick up and drop off, I'd go grab a coffee. I'd go loiter around and I'd listen to the mortgage brokers talking about stuff with realtors. And, you know, it's just, I got in the room and that, and, you know, within a few months I built some rapport with some of the realtors uh, and one of them actually helped me buy my first rental property when I was, I think, 20 or 21 years old. So, you know, you just, I, I wanted it and I was willing to do whatever. So. Well, and listen, that's the key. You were networking at such a young age, which is, uh, again, amazing that you knew that what you wanted to do. And it seemed like you had a plan. So talk about your first investment. How did that go? And if you don't mind, <laughs> how did you fund it? Because everybody that gets on these type of shows always want to know, hey, how did uh, Marcin, uh uh, how did he find it and how, and how was it funded? You know? So, I mean, you know, these questions all the time. So, Oh, you get so them probably all the time. My, my first investment was probably my worst investment. Cause I looked at a grand total of one house. <laughs> <laughs> Cause look, I thought I was 20, I was 20 or 21 years old. I don't remember. I thought the realtors knew real estate. Cause it was a logical conclusion that I was drawing as I've since learned that that isn't always the case. And I found a house. I thought it was a great investment uh, that the realtor broke down the numbers for me. I was going to make, you know, a couple hundred dollars a month cash flow. Turns out their math was a little bit off and I actually lost about $800 a month. So I learned about negative cash flow real quick. Wow. Uh, and, and, you know, when you're in your early twenties, 800 bucks hurts. I mean, 800 bucks hurts regardless, but it really hurts. So I had to get creative. Um, you know, we, we ended up, uh, renovating the unit i ended up turning what turned what started as a as a as a rental property turned into a fix and flip okay. and eventually we, we did make good money on it but you know that it was a good experience to get uh to get my foot in the door on my first deal no definitely um and after you um, got into single family were you were you investing in single family for a, a period of time before you moved up into multifamily so what actually happened was while I was doing the single family stuff, I started taking, you know, there's these weekend seminars and these courses and, you know, they were advertising in the paper and things like this. And I started going to some of these events and I started meeting people that were buying 10 plexes, 40 unit or 50, 100 uh, unit properties. And one thing led to another. I eventually ended up meeting somebody that was uh, running a private equity firm out West and uh, they were they were deploying a pretty large pool of capital and they were buying large 100, 200 units, uh, uh, multifamily projects throughout the Southwest at the time. So it was Arizona, Texas, uh, things like this. And they, uh, they were impressed with me. I think they thought I was a little bit more competent than I was. <laughs> and I thought I could figure things out. And what we quickly figured out is that I had a lot to figure out. So... I spent the next uh, six months basically drinking from fire hose and, you know, they, they throw words around like going in cap rates, IRR, COC, yeah. 
And they were talking about levered, unlevered, talking about, uh, you know, getting long-term paper, da, 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 like all this slang jargon. Da, 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 and, it, and I'm just sitting there with my notepad. I'm just writing stuff down. And I, I they, and then, then they, you know, tell me to go fetch things. Right. And then, you know, I ended up on the equity desk, raising capital and things like this, but it, it, in those early days, it was just every day I'd go home and I'd Google words for another three hours just to understand. So I could understand the instructions of the things that I was supposed to do. I, <laughs> it was, I was learning algebra as I was learning how to count, if that makes sense. Right, right, right. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> so, but you know what? It was fun. I enjoyed it. Uh, you know, it, uh, it was an opportunity in my life uh, that I was able to really delve into at the time. Uh, again, early 20s, not many personal commitments at that time. Uh, and, and that kind of became my world. And I mean, you look at, uh, you know, how long does it take you to become a professional at something and you've got your 10,000 hours? Well, you know, if, if you look at 2000 hours a year, I mean, I was, I guess I was proficient in my mid late twenties and, uh, you know, it's been, uh, uh, it's funny now I'm almost in my getting, getting into my uh, late thirties. I, I feel less proficient today than I did then yet. Uh, right. but maybe that's a function of just being around for a little bit, right? So. Yeah, no, definitely. You gain the experience and everything. So when did you start uh, M1 Real Capital? How long after, you know, you got your, you, you, you did your single family, you yeah. graduated to multi, and uh, when did you yeah. start the company? So I, I broke out on my own, I'd say about at least a decade ago at this point, probably, okay. probably longer. What what ended up working out for me in the in the in the PE space is I, I became very proficient in in the role and the equity side and just understanding the business, but became abundantly clear to me that I'd never be an owner in the business. So I just I got to a point where you know I'd made other people piles and piles and piles of money, and I and I'm glad I got the experience. I just I got to a point where that was it. I was essentially you know got to where. where the limit of that company where they were going to let me go. Nice. So, you know, I, I, I thank them uh, for the opportunity. I broke out on my own. Uh, and then I think it was around 2011, 2011, 2012, around then uh, on the, on the heels of the, the, the recession in 08, 09, mm -hmm. I put together an eight figure equity fund with a few partners. And then we went back to AZ and Arizona and we started looking at, Quite honestly, at that point, it was everything because everything was on sale. If you remember, there was there was no financing to have, be had. So if you had cash and you could come in, you could buy. You were cash was king. So you know we were buying uh, strip malls with uh, you know half the units vacant, and the other half were occupied by medical tenants that that were that weren't going anywhere regardless. Mm -hmm. And we were only paying for the value on the remaining units, and it, it, everything was on sale. It was a fraction of a. You know, my only regret was that that eight-figure fund wasn't a nine-figure fund mm -hmm. because, you know, in hindsight today, <laughs> you know, uh, but, you know. I right. So. No, no, that's okay. Again, you took the leap, right? You, you formed the company with your partners. And, and, and again, that's what, you took the leap of faith that you were going to do this and do this well. So now, you know, we're going to talk about um, raising capital because I, I think this is such a a great subject to talk about, but also though, Marcin, if you're new to the business, is it possible to raise capital, even for a single family? As I'm talking about if you haven't done a deal, but you got good credit, uh, maybe you might have some money in the bank or whatever, but you don't have the experience, but you have 
uh, for lack of a better term, a credibility kit, so to speak, without in, investing in a property? How, how would someone you get in? Well, I, I mean, it's more of a moral answer than, than, a, than, a, than a technical one, because morally, sure. I don't think you should raise money until you have the experience. I mean, it's one thing to go to, go to a bank and, you know, they, they extend you a certain amount of, you know, mortgage proceeds against the property. And, you know, if you and your, you and your parents or you and your brother want to go and buy a property together, that, you know, that, but that's just my opinion personally. Right. I, I wouldn't be comfortable, like I wouldn't be comfortable doing the things that I've done today, doing today, had I not had the context and the, the experiences that I've had over the last, you know, however many years, right? So for me, personally, I think you need to get the experience first before you go and start raising money from investors. I mean, you know, and, and aside from the obvious comment that raising money is a regulated activity, so you need lawyers, you need accountants, get the advice, don't cheap out on it, because it, it, it is a very important part of the equation to get good legal advice. I mean, I see some people on Facebook and some of the other social media platforms and how they're advertising money and fundraising and returns. And I mean, you'll, you'll never see me do things like that. And it, 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 it's a function of, you know, approach, tact, and also uh, following the rules that, that that's really important. So, you know, if someone doesn't have any experience, uh, personally, my recommendation is go find a mentor, go work for someone else, go toil under somebody else's banner. And, you know, it's okay if they make more of the money initially, that's fine, because you need the experience, you, you need the credibility, you need the critical mass. I mean, I could have stayed where I was at and kept buying an army of single family homes and own hundreds of single family homes or thousands or whatever, but I would have never had the confidence to go to multifamily had I not tucked myself in under that PE shop and learned the game at a different level. So uh, that, that would be my, but again, that's my bias. Is it possible for somebody to do their first deal and raise money? Sure. I, I just wouldn't recommend it. I wouldn't invest with somebody who hasn't done it themselves first. No, and I think that's fair. I mean, you got you do got to get the experience, and like you said, maybe you could uh, be under someone's wing, mm. uh, follow them around, learn the, at least learn the business, the lingo, and things like that. We're talking with Marcin uh, Droz of uh, M1 Real Capital. Um, once you do get the experience, right? You maybe you do a deal on your own, whether it's creative finance or whatever. Who should we approach first uh, in terms of raising capital? Should it be family and friends? Is that pretty much the norm at the beginning of, of, of someone's um, raising capital career? I, I mean, it's definitely the norm because most people are mostly comfortable to go to their you know, immediate network and, and have those discussions. You, that, that, I call that friendly capital because you know, your, 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 your brother-in-law, your, your, your dad, your uncle, your grandpa, whatever, uh, the, the guy you've been bowling with for 15 years, you know, these are people that like, like you and trust you already on a personal level. Right. So a lot of people tend to go that way. And, and that's not, not a bad thing to do, but I, I find that a lot of people have a tough time setting proper expectations uh, in those conversations. So for example, what do I mean by that? Uh, the best way I've had it explained to me is if you, if you raise money from family or from friends and the investment goes bad, that isn't an investment anymore. They now consider it a loan. So <laughs> keep, <laughs> I gotcha. <laughs> keep that in mind, right? Because yeah. you, and, and philosophically, I personally don't go out of my way to, to deal with, with family or friends. I, I, I just don't. 
Um, now, if someone from the family wanted to throw in on a building or whatever it is, then sure, we can have that discussion, but I personally don't go looking for those sources. Uh, personally, I, I think a better approach is to, you know, first of all, figure out what's compelling about what you're trying to do, create a story around it so that you have some kind of a theme and some kind of a dialogue that you can have. Um, I actually created something called the easy system, which is uh, exclusive, abundant, scarce in your allocation. Yeah, I want to and, talk about that. Yeah, definitely. I, I, that's one of the questions I wanted to ask if you could go yeah. over that. But um, I, I'm sorry to interrupt you because I, 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 I have to agree with you about the family and friends thing, because I think they'll, they'll put so much pressure on you. And that's my opinion. I've never done it. I've, I've gotten my own capital and, you know, I've done creative financing. And I remember I had, I think it was my, one of my sisters wanted to, uh, had want, wanted to invest with me. And I'm like, no, I don't think so. And, and I, I just felt that it, she was going to be part of the deal, but not even just monetarily, but just verbally like, oh, when are I going to get this paid? When is it, you know, I, and, and cause I know her so well, right. I agree with you. I just said, you know what, if I'm going to raise capital, it's just going to be with my, uh, uh, you know, the meetup groups I belong to the Facebook groups. I belong to or my own meetup group that I might have down the road. And I agree with you. I, I just think family and friends are, yeah, I, 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 I agree with you. I think that's well, from afar. It, I, I would, I'd rather have them from far away. And if they want to get in then you know, you have to, you have I'll get to. that base, you know, then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and you, you got to look at it objectively. I mean, if you have an uncle that is a business uh, businessman or an aunt, that's a businesswoman and somebody who, 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 who thinks in the context of business and growth and understands risk and things like this, and maybe they can even be a mentor or some kind of a, a, a sounding board for you, maybe that could be somebody you could work with. But even then, it has to be very clear that this is an investment and there's risk. Okay. And this isn't a, 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 a guarantee. This isn't a T-bill. This isn't a guarantee. You know, if you put in your money, it doesn't mean you're going to get your money back with interest. So it has to be, you have to have, you have to be comfortable to have those conversations. I mean, yeah. if an investor asks me, what's the worst case scenario? I always say the same thing. You lose all your money. And I, they, they say, well, how would that happen? I go, well, here are the scenarios. But if you ask me, what is the worst case scenario? That's the worst case scenario. Like don't sugarcoat it because if somebody immediately says, well, I, I can't afford to lose my X amount of dollars, then say, okay, great. I, I don't think, I don't think we should work together because me personally on a, on a, on a personal level, I don't want that pressure. If that 50,000 or $200,000 is going to make the difference between <laughs> you sleeping at night or you not sleeping at night, then I, I don't, I don't want that pressure. I just don't want it. Yeah, no, no, I, I agree 100% with you. So talk about the, your easy method. Um, you, ha you had it as E.A.S.Y. So if you could go over that um, and explain uh, in detail if, if that's possible. Sure, yeah. So I had I, this, the easy method, it's, it's an acronym, exclusive, abundant, scarce, and, and your allocation. And, and this system came about out of pure necessity for me. I had... Uh, one month where I was closing several properties and I had an investor back out and it jammed me up and I did the scramble for a few days just to make sure I had the equity to close. And I, when those transactions closed, I, swear to, I swore to myself, I would never put myself in a situation like this. So the E is the exclusive. So in other words, what 
is unique and compelling about what you're trying to accomplish. So in other words, don't talk to me about going in cap rates or coming out cap rates. Don't talk to me about price per square foot. To speak to me in a language that I can understand whether I'm, you know, somebody who's a business owner, a well-to-do physician, I own an HVAC business, whatever it is, talk to me plainly, speak, speak plainly. So uh, something compelling could be, hey, the, the unit, uh, there's 50 units in this building and 40 of them have the rents under market by at least $300. So that's $12,000 a month. Okay, I get that. Something else can be, hey, the building across the street just sold last month for $500,000 more. And this is why they're similar. That's compelling. The building is on Main and Main and there's 20,000 cars that go by here. And by the way, they just added another bus stop three, you know, two streets over or whatever it is. So, so we're expecting more of the university crowd or, you know, so, so those are things that are compelling. They're unique They're I can understand that even without being a real estate investor per se. So right. Those, right. Those immediately, those are things that you've brought up or, Hey, it's right across the street from the VA hospital, or it's right beside this, or it's along this road, like, or it's right beside the FedEx office or, or something. And there's 10,000 jobs, there. like something that is like, easy for me to understand as to why people would want to live there, why that property. So that's exclusive. Abundant is make sure you're able to demonstrate that you have an abundance of people to talk to about your opportunities so that your potential investor doesn't have the impression that you're somehow relying on them to make your dreams come true. (laughs) It's really important that you politely communicate that you have options. You thought of them because you thought it might be a fit. Uh, and you know, you, you do want to discuss it with them, but if they're not interested, you have other people to talk to, and there's a way to say this, and it could be as simple as, you know, I thought of you on this opportunity, uh, you know, and, and will just, just, just to be candid, I do need to speak to another eight or nine people about this because of X, Y, Z, right? So again, be able to demonstrate an abundance of people to talk to S is scarcity. So in other words, how do you demonstrate scarcity? Well, in real estate, there's two ways. One is timing. So when does the project close? Mm-hmm. And, and in, in all circumstances, I always talk about the financial closing for investors prior to the actual closing of the property, because you never want to say the same date for both because your investor might hear, oh, you're closing on the 30th. Great. I can write a check on the 29th. <laughs> ah, I gotcha. Okay. So closing is on the 30th. Always give yourself enough breathing room to make sure that your financial closing is on the 15th or 10th or the date. So that's one form of scarcity. The second form is the actual amount of capital that you need. The great thing about real estate is once you bought it, you got it, it's done. It's not an infinite supply. So do you need half a million? Do you need 5 million? Do you need 10 million? What amount of money do you need? There's a scarce component there. Okay. That's important. And then finally, the why is the, your allocation or another way to put it could be your action items. So in other words, you can say, you know, okay, so Will, you and I have talked, I've walked you through the opportunity, the EASY, and I've answered some of your questions. We've gone back and forth. You seem interested. Great. Uh, so, Will, obviously, I'm going to send you the full package with all the different legal documents and, and have whoever you need to review it. But if everything did check out, is there an amount that you'd consider, uh, you know, committing to? Right. So somebody who's not interested is going to say, yeah, no, I don't know. I don't think so. I, you know, I got to look at this. 
you know, I got to check with my goldfish, you know, <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. It consults on all my D like whatever, whatever, you know, someone who's not interested is going to, it gives you permission. It, get, it gives them permission to say they're not interested. Right. Whereas someone who is genuinely interested. And again, another sidebar is qualified. Make sure you qualify people. So again, regulations, rules, accredited investors, things like this, you got to make sure you're dealing with qualified people, but uh, someone who is capable and qualified and interested will say, yeah, if it checks out, I'd consider looking at X dollars. Great. So you can then set a follow-up date and send them the package, let them know that you guys can talk next, you know, on Thursday or Friday, et cetera, et cetera. But at least you have a next step. And it, okay. you know, and, and the thing about the thing about what I just said is that you can apply this to any asset class. If you're building a startup and you're trying to raise money, if you're trying to buy an apartment building, if you're trying to buy a mobile home park, whatever it is, if you do the exclusive abundance scarce in your allocation, you have a starting point for you to build interest in your opportunities. Okay, no, I, I, I love it. I love it uh, to be exclusive, abundant, scarcity, your allocation or uh, your action items. Yeah, so, like you have to have some kind of an action item at the end of it, right? right you know, the right. worst thing, the absolute worst thing is, hey, I'll send you the package. Let me know what you think. Okay, yes. great. What does that mean? Like, right. What do we? What? What? What does that mean? <laughs> okay. All right. No. No. I. 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 Again, you explained it. Uh, so where someone like me could understand that. Um, so if you're looking for an investor, right? Let's say a accredited investor. Um, and do you look for a minimum of, of, of money that you want per, let's say per investor, or does it go per deal? How, how do you figure out uh, the allocation portion of, of the investment? Well, I mean, I think that that comes back to whoever it is. It comes you back to you, to. essentially. I mean, what do you want to do? Okay. You know, you don't want your minimum to be too low because, if your minimum is, you know, five thousand or ten thousand, and you need a million dollars, that's a lot of checks at ten grand. So, right, 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 right. You know, that, that's a lot of checks. At the same time, if your minimum's a hundred grand, then that's less checks, but you also have a much smaller pool of people that will potentially make make an investment. So I think it's a judgment decision, and of course you have to work with your securities lawyer, your, your account, you just, it, that, that's part of the decision of a much bigger conversation you have to have with your lawyer. I don't know, sounds good. Um, so what's next for uh, M1 Real Capital? What are you guys looking to do in the next three to six months? If, if there was a crystal ball or are there any goals you're looking to achieve over the next you know, um, six, seven months, three to six months of uh, 2022? Sure. Yeah. I mean, our, our goals, our goals are consistent on an annual basis. I mean, we have, we have two parts to our business. One is M1 Real Capital, where we focus on acquiring uh, value-add multifamily properties, typically between 50 and 150 uh, units. And we do that throughout the Southeast. Uh, I've got several in due diligence right now. So, you know, if we can, if we can increase our density by, you know, 500 to a thousand doors by the end of year end, I, I think that would be a good year. Uh, the other part of our business is M1. Uh, we have our education company where uh, I, I started what's called an inner circle where we have several hundred students that have joined that want to learn how to structure their deals. We do role playing for how to deal with some of the things that, I've, that we've been discussing. 
And, you know, we have students, some of them that have a couple of doors and we have students that have, you know, personal portfolios up, upwards of 25, $30 million themselves. So wow. there's just a wide range of, and actually some of our students have now become mentors and they're helping some of our earlier students. So, you know, that, that's a lot of fun too. And obviously uh, finding some new faces there is always fun too. So. Yeah, no, congratulations on that. I mean, first of all, Marcin, thank you so much for being on Pay to Pay Real Estate Show. I, I, I really appreciate it. You take your time out of your busy schedule. And before I let you go, just a couple more things. I mean, I already could tell, but for, uh, for those who might not uh, see it or hear it, what keeps you motivated? I mean, because it seems like uh, you got that passion that you could do this 24-7 if you could. Yeah, I, I, you know what, for me, I love those light bulb moments. Now it's fun for me to see our students, some of, uh, some of my uh, partners, just, just watching people have that aha moment where oh. they, they, they start to see things work for them. That makes me, that, that's really cool. I, I really, I really enjoy that. And, uh, you know, I, it, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, I always operate under the premise of there's no plan B. I, I always like anything I'm doing, I'm a hundred percent. And, you know, you just, you, you do it because, and, and it doesn't feel like work. And my wife is all, like, even now we're, you know, we're down here on the beach and wife, wife's going to go see the sunset here in a, in a few minutes. But right. even now it's like, you know, I'm supposed to be on vacation and, and, and I am. <laughs> but, technically right <laughs> this, is fun. this is fun for me right we we have a lot of fun uh you know we're, we're we're in a privileged position where we can help our investors earn you know great returns and you know we were, we're able to mentor and train people to to create that for themselves so that that that's been really fulfilling no I, I, again that's amazing that you could do that and you live in life the way you want to uh, live it. So, uh, and two more questions. We talked about Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Uh, mm -hmm. Great book. I, I, I read that. Uh, unfortunately, I was in my 40s when I read it. But you know what? It still lit the, the, the light bulb. You know, it gave me that aha moment. Any mm -hmm. other books you would like to recommend? I mean, if you have a book in you, you got to write it. <laughs> you know, I, I, I think I think I will. I've actually started putting some thoughts together together around it. Uh, but but a really good book that I would recommend, I, I, I recommend it uh, widely, is a book called The Obstacle is the Way. And it's a book by, written by a gentleman by the name of Ryan Holiday. And the book is rooted in Stoicism. So Stoicism uh, is, a, is, is a thought process. If you go back to you know, Marcus Aurelius and some of the great Stoics. And, and, and the book, the, the subtitle to the book is uh, What is in the Way Becomes the Way. So it's, again, the obstacle is the way it's, it's a fantastic book. I, I love the concept of it. It, it's all about, you know, your, your mindset is so important, especially you, you'll never fully recognize the amount of potential insecurities you have about yourself and your capacity and your competence for, for what you're doing until you try to go out and raise money for it. Because that's when all the insecurities are going to come out, whether it's, well, how, what if people think I don't know what I'm doing? Why would they invest with me? You know, there's so many better options. And you start to have all of these defeating thoughts going through your head. So for, for me, the book, The Obstacle is the Way, it, 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 it reverses, it, 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 it's a different way to look at the world. And again, nothing happens to you, everything happens for you. So 
it uh, it it's you know I'm I'm still practicing the thought process, and it's something that I think is that that is a practice that I'm going to keep for for the rest of my days. I, you know what? I definitely going to look into this book because you just hit it on the head. Uh, Tony Robbins says is you create your own story, mm -hmm. and you know you have these doubts and like just like you said, you know like. Oh man, you know, uh, these people don't know me. They don't uh, suppose you know, they're gonna say no. Why bother? And you just defeat your own your own self before you even have a chance to like, hey, try it out. You know, you learned it from the nose, and then you just use that to build yourself up. Like, okay, you're closer to yes. That's why I remember. I forgot who said that. The more nose you get, you're you're closer to that yes. Uh, uh, and, yeah, and, go ahead. And taking it taking it one step. It, within you, if you're good with who you are, you don't react to other people's expectations of you. And, and that, that's as valuable as anything else. Like for example, so one of my heroes, obviously my dad, you know, your, your dad is, you know, from sure. hero. and my, my dad, he, he runs, uh, he's got a high-end uh, European auto shop. And sometimes the, some of the Porsches that he fixes or Mercedes that he fixes come with owners that are very, uh, let's say fickle. And uh, one, one of the owners, I remember I was a little kid, I was at the, I happened to be at the shop just tinkering around with stuff as one of the, the owners comes in and he just goes off on my dad. And my dad looks at him, he goes, well, it looks like you have a problem. And he goes, you're damn right, I have a problem. I have a problem with you. My dad goes, okay, how can I help you with your problem? <laughs> I like that. <laughs> he reversed it to him. <laughs> because it's not his problem. Yeah, right, right, right. I love I that. I understand you're trying to make it my problem, but right. you have a problem. We've established that. Okay. How can I help you with your problem? Yeah, I love it. I love that he reversed it. <laughs> that's well, great. Because it wasn't his problem. Exactly. No, that's what I'm saying. I agree with you. I'm like saying he, he, he said, no, no, that's your problem. What is it? How can I help you? I love that. I love that. I remember I'm standing there as a little kid. I didn't know what was going on. But then the guy, the customer just starts laughing. And because he, he, he had he, he acknowledged where he was at and then right. it's prevailed. But, you know, that's what I loved about my dad. My dad wouldn't you know, he just, he wouldn't internalize your baggage. Like right. it's your baggage. How can I help you with your baggage? You know? oh, I love that. That is, uh, that's the quote of the day. And Marcin, if somebody want to get in contact with you, what's the, what's the best way? So the best way to get in touch is my website, marcindroz.com, M-A-R-C-I-N-D-R-O-Z-D-Z.com. Uh, go to the website. There's plenty of free resources there. There's downloads. Uh, there's a mini course there on the easy system. It's free. You can download it. There's some great, valuable content. And we do all kinds of different events online and person, depending on where you are in the world. So you can see it all there. All right. Sounds good. Well, again, Marcin, thank you so much for being on Pay to Pay Real Estate Show. I really, really appreciate it. You got it. Thanks for having me. Yep. My pleasure.